Bring it in. We're going to option back on a Friday. Well, Friday for you. Thursday for me and Scotty Vito's out. Our man is not feeling great right now. Uh, another illness. That's what happens when you're traveling around the country multiple times every single week. So all of our best wishes to the boy. Uh, love that kid and hope he's feeling better. Big weekend coming up. Lots of sports going on. Absolute chaos. And when that happens, Scotty, there's only one thing we can do. And that's a good old-fashioned sports gumbo. A little bit of everything. We're going to talk NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, NFL stuff. uh, And we're on the pod. We're going to live plan out our game plan for the Wells Fargo Championship this weekend that you and I, as well as uh, my brother-in-law, Kenny, and my uh, roommate, Andrew, are all going to go see. We can't (laughs) – Scotty, we can't see it because – there it is. Uh, we also are introducing a new a new thing on the pod, and Scotty gets credit. He you might have heard it because he kind of fed it in, but I called it my koozie, my cause. You know, playing off yeah. of the uh, the cleats that the players get to use. You yeah, know, once a like year we- they get to do something fun. Every yeah, show because of the abundance of koozies we've you know grown over the years. Uh, we're gonna pick a different koozie. So I got the Flyers uh, tall boy koozie going on right now. Don't see a lot of the tall boy koozies. Uh, even though the Flyers are not in the NHL playoffs, but to at least show the support. And you are repping uh, my brother-in-law and sister's koozie from their wedding. Crap, crack open a cold one with the boys. The boys. Uh, yeah. And uh, for those not on YouTube watching this, Kenny's last name is Boy, B-U-I. So spelled slightly differently. Buddy, how are you? We're, we're in the middle of praying to the... Uh, the weather gods and the golf gods mm-hmm. to, to give yeah. us a break. Cause the forecast does not look great for Saturday. Um, it does not. No, it's going to be a little wet, but uh, I think hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get some, uh, some time out there. With an umbrella. Yeah. Nothing that a little cold, you know, some beers, maybe, maybe here's what we do. We'll go get fireball. Cause fireball warms you up real well. You know, it gets that little burn in the stomach going the cinnamon, mm-hmm. You know, heats you up. And uh, if we're lucky, and I got to make sure he's still going, one of our OG listeners who we reference on the show all the time, Ryan Kikaiko, who you met at the wedding. I did, well, yeah. He and a couple other buddies from high school that I that I know grew up playing baseball with are going to be at the tournament as well. So hopefully they all end up still going and we can we can meet up and, and have a couple drinks on the golf course, weather permitting, so, of course. So maybe that's what I'll yell after uh, after a shot. Uh, instead of everyone saying, uh, you know, whatever the hell people get scream, in the hole. ridiculous thing, get in the hole, va-va-vooey, I'll just be like, Kakaika! <laughs> or fireball. I like fireball. I like fireball, and, too. And then you, and then, yeah, right? And then you just rip a shot of fireball right after. <laughs> every, time okay. you, every time you do it, you got to rip a shot of fireball with it. Um, they sell the versions of it now that are like 16% that you can buy at grocery stores. So you could actually do a few of those and it's not going to ruin your day, uh, but it's still got that quintessential um, fireball taste. But like I said, sports gumbo, it's our fa- It's honestly some of my favorite episodes because I think it encapsulates a lot of what we do as sports fans, which is we like to watch a little bit of everything. You know, we obviously are a football first podcast. I think that's fair to say, uh, but we're also, you know, we're like a seasonal beer of a podcast, right? You know, in the summertime, you're going to drink Corona's. We're going to, 
bullshit and do stuff in the fall. Maybe oh, Cinco little... de Mayo too. Yeah, yeah. Today. There you go. Little Corona. Today, oh, I forgot about that. Damn. How did we not have tequila shots? It's Cinco de Mayo. Um, but yeah, so I love these pods because I do think it, it's a good embodiment of how we are as sports fans, which is like we just like talking sports, whatever's on, whatever's in the moment. We change with the seasons. Even though deep down we know, you know, football does come first, not only for us, but for most sports fans in America. Uh, that being said, the NBA playoffs, second round, fully underway. We have two games played in each of the four series, two really good series and two series that unfortunately for me uh, as a Sixers fan aren't doing great. So where do we want to start? Do you want to start with the good or the bad? Let's start with the uh, let's start with the bad ones. Get them out of here. Cause... Get them out of the way. There's right. a couple of couple of storylines here, too. Well, and I think it's worth mentioning the Suns because it's amazing how the playoffs started. Devin Booker gets hurt, right? And all of a sudden, the Suns, they're in a six-game series with the Pelicans. And it felt like, oh, wow, there's parity. Like, any, pretty much any of the teams that were in, you know, top four seeds, uh, they all advanced. But it did feel like, hey, and these teams can knock out a wounded, you know, Phoenix – but I'll tell you what, I think the best player in this playoff so far has been Chris Paul. I mean, the tear Chris Paul has been on, obviously going 14 to 14, three of three from the foul line in game one. But then last time, 14 points in the fourth quarter alone. This is, we said it last year, but this feels like Chris Paul's year. This feels like wire to wire. They were the best team in basketball by far. They're getting Booker back, but getting through a frisky team in New Orleans without Booker, right? And now they have, what, maybe 60% of Devin Booker back because he came back early from that injury. And they just take a 2-0 lead against the Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic averaging 40-plus points a game. Yeah, it's it's the Suns against Luka at this point. <laughs> and Luka's been amazing. Like, at this point, like, yeah. 45 in game one, 35 in game two, 5 of 10 from three. Uh, they're getting nothing out of Jalen Brunson after his first run. And that whole team is still flawed. Like, remember, they made the KP trade, right? So going into the season, Dallas was kind of like, all right, we're going to see if KP works out. And if not, we get his contract off the books and we can rebuild and, and figure out something to do next year. I think guys are going to want to play with Luka. So I, I'm not worried about Dallas. Like, I think they're kind of overachieving from what they were because by the time Luka was in shape halfway through the season – you know, the season wasn't lost, but for the most part, it was, you know, it wasn't a championship run for them. And so they get out of the first round, which is further than Luca's done. And he's showing now why he's going to finish top five in MVP because he is this good. But Chris Paul, 28 points, eight to six, six rebounds, plus 19 on the floor. Uh, and then Devin Booker, too, dropping in 30 last night. So it's like if this is 65 to 70 percent of Devin Booker from a health perspective, they're only going to get better. Uh, and the crazy thing is, too, is Aiton gets into foul trouble uh, and, and ends up getting a little banged up there in the first half. And then JaVale McGee gets into foul trouble. He had five personal fouls. And they just throw out Bismack Biombo, who all of a sudden looks like the dude a couple years ago when he was in Toronto mm -hmm. who got that big payday. So am I wrong to suggest, and I know you're a Warriors fan, so you're, you're pulling for your guys, but am I wrong to suggest that Phoenix has jumped back into that spot of the favorite to win the NBA title? Um, yeah, I think so. Look, I, I think of, of all, like it's, it's a uh, Deandre Ayton who among all the remaining big guys in the West, even including the first round of the playoffs, the big guys in the West, he's the only one that can really score. 
Uh, so you have to honor that and play him. Um, and, and then even with Devin Booker at 60%, you're not going to ask him to do a whole lot this series. You can kind of uh, limit his minutes, rest him up, uh, assuming you're going to win now that you're up 2-0. Um, and, and then, you know, the the guys like uh, Michael Bridges, who stepped up all year, can, can you know, take a, take a different role uh, and, and, you know, do what they need to do when they're called upon. Um, and it got, you know, the, the big guy is Chris Paul and the, the inconsistency that he's shown in playoff series throughout his career is being put to bed in front of our eyes because like the, the way that he's played through throughout at least this series, it gives me, and the, the tail end of the last series gives me no indication that, uh, that they're any worse for the wear. And I, th- they, I think they're playing better now than they did in the fine, in the run to the finals and in the finals last year. Well, and I think it, the, the Devin Booker injury forced everyone else to step up, right? Because they didn't have any major injuries throughout the season. They pretty much just cruised all the way straight through into the playoffs. And then of course, game two, Devin Booker goes down, but I'm amazed like Devin Booker played 36 minutes in this game. Right. And so if they are trying to limit some of his minutes, they're not shown anything of it, right? So it, already if Devin Booker's given you that, and to be fair again, there's no one defensively on the Mavericks who can cover Devin Booker. I mean, no. Finney Smith, Bullock, uh, you're not putting Jalen Brunson on them, obviously not Bertons. Like they just don't have anybody uh, who, who can realistically match up against Devin Booker and slow him down. And you'll get a little bit harder of a challenge uh, – for either team, right? If they're playing Golden State or if they end up playing Memphis. Now, we'll get to that series in a little bit, and the Gary yeah. Payton injury is is a tough one for, for Golden State, but they still have Clay, who's not the defender he once was. But even still, he's going to at least get challenged. But I think them getting through New Orleans without Booker showed them that, like, oh, yeah, no, there's not a team. There, there, there's no team that's going to beat us. There's, there's, even with a banged-up Booker who was a shell of himself in that first game uh, against uh, – or in that, sorry, game six against New Orleans, that Chris yeah. Paul goes off, right? And and you said the guy who I think is arguably the most – not the most important because that's Chris Paul and then Devin Booker, but the, the straw that kind of stirs the drink in terms of their championship level, taking them from a good team to a great team, is Mikhail Bridges. And a lot of people, you know, gave the sun shit because – they paid Bridges and they didn't pay Aiton. Now the contracts, obviously, I think it was like four years and eighty million for Bridges, you know, or a hundred million, something like that, compared to Aiton, who's looking for a max contract. Uh, I'm not sure I want to give DeAndre Aiton a max contract either, but people gave them a lot of shit for that, and I think we're seeing now why that's not that crazy because I I don't think there's fifty better players in the NBA than Mikael Bridges. He hasn't missed a game since he was in high school. This whole time at Villanova his whole NBA career he's led the NBA in minutes the last two seasons I mean he he played 39 minutes in this game played more minutes than anybody else Mikhail Bridges is such an impactful defender and look you're not going to you're not going to stop Luka you can try to slow him down and even in this series he's going to get a shitload of points you know it but Bridges is going to be able to guard you know Steph in the second Mm -hmm. round he's going to be able to guard John Morant because he's big he's long and he's quick He's a skinny guy, doesn't have a lot of weight, but he's as good of a wing defender as we have in the NBA. He knocks down almost all of his open threes. 
He can handle the ball and take it to the rack when he needs to. He's a legitimate difference maker. And then you have that heartbeat guy in Crowder who Crowder was always asked to do the stuff that Bridges is doing now. And now they don't even have to ask him to do it. They just need him to be that energy guy. They just need him to draw the bullshit fouls time after time. Right. But the one thing in this game, and, and I want to talk a little bit of it. And I hate, I hate blaming referees in any context. And I'm not saying that the refs cost Dallas anything here, but there were 30 fouls in the first half of this game. In the first half, this is That's supposed wild. to be, this is supposed to be the time of year where they, you know, Hey, you know, you don't get the same calls in the postseason that you do in the playoffs. Right. You know, it, it changes, right. The regular season is harder than the regular, uh, uh, the regular season's easier than the postseason, right. They're, they're going to swallow the whistles more. And I feel like they've been blowing it more. And, I said this out on Twitter the other night, but I'm like, has there been a single moment of these playoffs, a single game where you go, you know what? The refs did a good job in this game because the best refs are the ones you don't hear from. You don't talk about it. There's no stories about it. And it feels like every single game I've watched, there's just been so many calls where I'm just like, what, why, why are we calling? Why why do we need 30 foul calls in the first half? Because it hurts the product. It hurts the product. Cause yeah, real NBA fans, like, diehard fans they're not going to complain about you know fouling they'll understand at least a little bit more like all right hey you know it's a hard job whatever this hurts for the casual fans because it just it makes the product worse it does and usually you don't see uh, a lot of this the ticky tack close stuff until late in the game Uh, yeah which is which is where the suns have been excelling too by the way uh but uh yeah it's it's damaging to see that at the at the onset of games like i get you want to kind of set the tone and like hey everybody play a clean game it's the postseason guess what man for the 75 years that the nba has been around the postseason has been physical because everyone at this level wants to win a championship right you get into the second round even the first round you get to the second round you're like okay we're that much closer it's gonna be physical like let them play and genuinely and i'm a big proponent of the the playoffs being uh you know, no blood, no foul, <laughs> yeah. almost right. Um, uh, save for like, uh, you know, hard fouls like uh, like we saw in the and we'll get to it in the uh, in the Golden State series and Memphis series. So, um, and even I have some yeah. issues with that call. Like a lot of people are calling that like the dirtiest play we've seen the playoffs, mm. and we can oh, go we'll into have an it. interesting debate then. <laughs> it's not that it wasn't a dirty play or that the flagrant two wasn't warranted. I just think it's I think the result and the injury of it. If if Gary Payton Jr. gets up and walks away from that, I don't think Dylan Brooks gets suspended. I, I genuinely don't. But again, that's a conversation we'll have in a little bit. It, the other no, it major impact I think it has, and, and you hear this during the regular season all the time, is it becomes more of a half court game in the in the postseason, right? Like teams, it slows the pace down, right? Mm-hmm. And and it feels like it, the playoffs have been chaotic. And I think that part of it is actually better for the consumer. I do find it more interesting. There's more energy. There's a lot more craziness. But it's just antithetical to how the playoffs have always been officiated. And I don't know if this is a, a thing that the league is trying to stress. Like, hey, let's let's make the playoffs more like the regular season and have it more high scoring. And we're not having these, you know, 85 to 80 games in the playoffs that you would see sometimes out of the blue. Like, man, they – the league average is 110 points per game, and this game was 95 to 86 or whatever is a final. Like, I enjoy that, but, and as selfishly yeah. as my team is a better half court team with Embiid and Harden than they are a full court team. But 
I just don't there's like also, how fast pace it's been compared to other years. There's also a difference between good defense allowing the game to dictate a, a low scoring game and then uh, fouls being called where uh, like 30 of those 110 points are at the foul line. Like yeah. that to me is boring. <laughs> yeah, no, right? I, I agree. And that I think hurts the hurts the game. If your team is built that way, like the Daryl Morey style where, you know, threes and free throws are going to be and, and layups. They're your most efficient shots, the most efficient way to score points. So get guys who can specialize in that. And that's what Harden and Embiid both do. Easy twos, at least like prime Harden, easy twos, threes, and get to the foul line. Embiid and Harden average the most foul shots per game this year in the NBA. That being said, without Embiid, the Sixers are fucked. So anything else on the Mavs, Suns, before we move on here? I'm happy for Chris Paul. I love Chris Paul. Uh, I know some people get annoyed with him, and there's plenty of shit he does that's annoying, but he is so great, and he's a top five point guard of all time. And I want him to get a ring more than I think any other player in the NBA. Other, like my I team don't. excluded. <laughs> Only because we're going up against him. No, I think, uh, I think honestly, what they've done in this series uh, in the fourth quarter is absolutely spectacular. Uh, the way they're, they're able to close out games in this game, they were uh, 16 of 19 from the field in the fourth. That's unbelievable. Yeah. They've unbelievable. been the best That's... fourth quarter team all year, but historically good in the fourth quarter, too. Like, not just like, oh, like, no, this year they're like, one of the best fourth quarter teams in NBA history, the 2021-22 Phoenix Suns. So I love, you know, Mikel Bridges, and God damn it, he should be a 76er. Um, all right, let's move on to that series, Philadelphia and Miami. I don't know if there's much to talk about here, to be honest. Um, other than I think if Embiid's playing, I think Philly's the better team. Seeing seeing how close and competitive most and, and again Miami gets on a run has and they've done it in the first two games, in the second half they get on a run, and the Sixers just don't have the firepower to set uh just you know close that gap they just separate it and then it stays there and then the Sixers don't have enough ammo to get back into it. Uh, Bam, I was expecting Bam to be a, even better than he's been, which he's been great in the first two games, but without Embiid and you're getting guarded by DeAndre Jordan and Paul Reed like I. DeAndre Jordan sucks, shouldn't be getting any minutes. Uh, and Paul Reed, like, I love B-ball Paul, but, you know, he's young. He's, you know, he had five fouls in 15 minutes in game one of that series on Monday night. Uh, it's just, Bam should be dominating more than he is, and it makes me realize if Embiid was in this game, I think Bam becomes a non-factor. I think Embiid I, shuts him out. The whole series, too, yeah. I, I think I, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, just because of how dominant he is on the on the block, like Bam doesn't move a whole lot around the perimeter. Like he's an inside guy. Uh, you'll see him, you know, set screens and come off him, and that's how he, he he's able to get points in the paint uh, a lot of times. But like, and B's not letting that screen go under. Like he's gonna be on on Bam the whole way, uh, right? So I I do think his defense alone makes makes this uh, uh, um much more interesting series. And then what he provides on the offensive side, uh, obviously they're, they're limping on, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, the guy I do love on offense right now for the Sixers, and he's probably their MVP of this series. If there is one, it's Tyrese Baxey. Like, yeah. The way he, he's out playing Harden, like Harden. So here's my deal with Harden is like, he's the, the physical thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, you want to throw that by the wayside and be like, no, he's a professional athlete. He's been playing basketball forever. He's good. But like, 
the way that he's no longer able to create shots like he did in in Houston uh is is detrimental because that's like his bread and butter especially late in the game he's able to to create shots and he did it in game one yeah. uh and and he did it in game six of the uh of the uh Toronto series game seven sorry of the Toronto series um so that's that's a huge detriment but what Tyrese Maxey is doing is is just just fun to watch number one uh and and the dude's a baller he can score uh, Maxey's gonna be a stud in this league for a long time and I I absolutely love the kid here's here's the thing though and honestly the fact that maxi played that well and i'd actually somewhat push back on the harden thing because i feel like games one and two in this series we've seen the harden that we saw in game six against toronto the only difference is that we just don't have him be there which is part of what made them look so he was the most important part of why they look so good harden is getting to the rack better he's shooting the ball better he's more aggressive than he's been uh and especially after the sixers you know, yeah, he goes one of five from three. The three-point shot's just not there. Uh, every single time he's shooting, he, the Miami Heat are basically saying, all right, well, we have Bam, so we know we have at least help if Harden tries to take it to the rack, right? And then defenders are kind of slacking off on him a little bit, but they have a second defender ready, and every time he's trying to do a step back, they just blitz him. Two guys coming right at him, and they're getting multiple hands in his face, and he's just – and there was a really noticeable shot, and Kenny Smith actually did a whole breakdown of it at halftime – there was a moment in the first half where that was very apparent. Um, you know, getting just nothing from Matisse Thibel hurts, right? Uh, George Niang hit finally hit a three. He goes one of three. He's one of eight from three in this uh, series so far. And Niang was like a 42% three-point shooter. He was the best shooter on the team going into this series, right? And the fact that you get 21 from Harris, you get 20 and you almost get 20 and 10 from Harden and, you get 34 from Maxi, and this game still wasn't even close. There's mm-hmm. no hope without Embiid. And right before we hopped on recording, they said Embiid's already listed as out for game three, though oh. there is there is hope that that could change depending on how things go. And, and this is also bullshit too. Both of these series, right, they were the second series to go, Philly, Miami, and then Phoenix and, and Dallas. They're both supposed – like they're both playing again before – Boston and Milwaukee and Golden State and Memphis. They play on Saturday. The Sixers and the Heat and those other uh, four teams, they play on Friday. So how, how in the world does that make sense? Uh, geography? I don't know. Uh, is like, it because we have to go from Memphis back to San Francisco? or? Well, that's the thing. I mean, that game was Tuesday night the last year. Uh, or mm-hmm. Yeah, Tuesday night they played. And then they don't play again until Saturday. That how, is does, weird. how does that make any – it doesn't make any sense it at all. It doesn't. And meanwhile, no. the, the Philly and Miami and Dallas and, and Phoenix, they play on Wednesday and they have to change cities, and then they play on Friday, where the natural progression, you would say, all right, we'll put Milwaukee and Boston and uh, Golden State and Memphis, have them play Friday, and then you have the – no, it just – That's weird. Yeah, that makes no sense. I don't get it at all. But, you know, the Sixers – and, again, if Embiid's playing in the series, I think the Sixers are the better team. With this aggressive Harden, because when Harden's playing aggressive, he doesn't have to score 30, you know. But when Maxi does go off and Harden sees that and he's feeding Maxi and Maxi's getting all his shots, like it, it makes a big difference. I it just mm-hmm. it sucks to see Jimmy Butler's been great, 22 and 12, uh, 22 points, 12 assists, and six rebounds in game two. And then they just have all those, all those fucking annoying players, the Strauss and Gabe Vincent and 
PJ Tucker. Tyler Hero has been amazing. And Tyler Hero (laughs) and Victor Oladipo. I mean, Oladipo having played, what, five games before the playoffs? And he he gets you 19 in game two uh, in the Eastern Conference semis. But again, if Bam's in the game, if Embiid's playing and he's matched up against Bam, Bam's in foul trouble. They have no depth at center. Dwayne Dedman's the only other guy they have there, right? So Bam's going to be in foul trouble. He's not getting anywhere close to the 23 points he gets there. He's actually going to be challenged. Um, And the thing with Bam, too, is, He's, he's a more athletic and less cerebral Draymond, right? They use him in that way where they're going to put him mm-hmm. at the top of the key. They're going to let him run some offense, let him initiate some passes. You know, he only had three assists in this game, but so much of the offense does run through Bam around the top of the key. It's basically Jimmy Butler ISO where he's going to find a way to get to that mid-range, pull up from mid-range, and he hits those at a really, really high clip. He went eight of 15 from the field. He went one of three on uh, Wednesday night, but – Bam would now, no question, Bam would not be the player he's been in this series. And I actually thought he was going to be even better than what we've seen so far, uh, which is a testament to, you know, how good Embiid is, I guess. I just thought the gap there, like, I love Bam. I feel like he's been really great, but just seeing it and thinking about the Sixers with Embiid, how dominant they would be, I think, and maybe not dominant, but I definitely think they at least split these two games. Um, mm-hmm. it just sucks. It just sucks. And it's a shame because there's never been a more unlucky superstar in my lifetime than Joel Embiid, you know, go through his whole career, whether it was the Brett Brown stuff, whether it was Colangelo stuff, the injuries early on Ben Simmons being his running mate, them, everything that happened with Markel Fultz, um, now getting doc, right. And then, then making the trade for Harden Simmons being afraid of like just everything. And Embiid has never been the problem. And I'm not a strong believer in karma. My view on karma is basically like, if you're a good person, typically good things will happen to you. But it does. It, there are some things you can't explain. And this string of unluckiness and the fact that it's the process, it's the first team to the tanking. They were so unapologetic about it. All the stuff with Hinky, it's just, it just sucks. Because yeah. one, <clears throat> one fluke injury, I mean, both of these injuries, the the orbital bone slash concussion and then the thumb are weird, fluky injuries. These aren't like a, oh, he's a big man, his body's wearing down kind of injury. But And Philly fans don't want to hear this, so cover your ears. Those injuries are going to happen because it's happened to every big man who's ever played in the NBA. At some point, when you're that big, your body starts to break down and it breaks down earlier, right? We're not going to see him bead like we see Chris Paul. The one exception to that was Chris uh, was Tim Duncan. And Tim Duncan drastically changed his body over the last seven years of his career. And his game. Yeah, and his game (laughs) in order to do that. And he his whole game was about fundamentals. It wasn't about being physically dominating. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly like Jokic will probably have a career like that. You know, where as he gets old, we've already seen him lose weight. But as he gets older, his game will translate that way as he gets older. And Beats is built on physical dominance. And right now, it just doesn't seem like he's going to be able to stay healthy. I mean, the window, I would say, is starting to close. He's stayed healthy. He was in amazing shape this year. He's not going to get the MVP, which is bull, which isn't bullshit, but sucks. Um, and on top of it, too, he can't get past the second round of the fucking playoffs. I think this is the fourth time that he can't get past the second round. And one of them comes on one of the most incredible shots in basketball history. And yeah. why game seven <laughs> buzzer beater. I, I just my heart breaks for the dude. And I think even if I wasn't a Sixers fan, I would still feel that way about Embiid. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Just, just terrible luck. 
Um, do you think, uh, and I, I kind of had this thought too in game, uh, game six and seven of the, uh, of the first round against Toronto. Do you think at this point, Doc Rivers is just like, I mean, there's a job open in LA. Uh... <laughs> Honestly, I hope that happens. <laughs> I do. I mean, all the Philly fans want Jay Wright, right? And he even said himself, like, oh, you know, wouldn't close the door. I would be surprised if they went, if he went right back into coaching after stepping down from Villanova. That would be a surprise. Yeah. Um, just knowing the kind of person Jay Wright is, I think he wants some time off. But I think the next guy is on your bench already, Sam Cassell. Sam Cassell yeah. is single-handedly well, <clears throat> responsible for making Tyrese Maxey what Tyrese Maxey has been. Yeah, and, and a great player in the NBA. He's a great I, player I, in the NBA. I guess my question was more, do you think Doc has uh, the thought of having a foot out the door already, given the position that they're in in this particular playoff series? It's interesting. Um, or is he thinking about it? I tend to believe coaches when they say like, you know, like you, you and I were having beers with my neighbor, right? The other, a couple of weeks ago, and mm -hmm. he's a diehard Oklahoma fan. And he's also kind of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to sports. And, uh, and his whole thing was man, Lincoln Riley had one foot out the door the whole time, the whole time he had one foot out the door. And when, when you think about the job and everything it entails and how these guys are wired, I just don't think coaches think that way. I think it's mm -hmm. a, I think it's a very fun storyline for fans who are upset at coaching staffs. You know, I think it's a way for them to make themselves feel better rather yeah. than it actually having any sort of reality. I don't think doc or anyone else is wired that way. Now, if you ask them, Hey, long-term, would you rather go take two years of LeBron and AD out in LA or stick it out and see what happens with Embiid and Harden. I mean, to me, if I'm the Sixers, the Embiid injury would be a very convenient excuse to want to bring back James Harden, want to bring back Doc. And I, I just don't think that's smart. I think you have an opportunity to shell off cap space, with a, which the Sixers have not been able to do in three years because of the Tobias Harris and then Jimmy Butler, which led to the Al Horford trade, right, and all the contracts that they picked up. They haven't had cap flexibility in a long time. They haven't beaten his prime. You can't keep beating your head against the wall and expecting shit to change. You know, at some point, I don't think Doc has proven himself at this point to be a good enough coach. Um, but I also know that, you know, Doc has a, won a championship. But Doc's also had a lot more shortcomings in the playoffs than he's had successes. And it's just well, they had three superstars on like team, what was crazy is you see this stat on <laughs> they said on the like Spolstra's eighth all time in playoff wins already. And Doc That's is crazy. ninth. And you think about Doc's wow. been Doc's been coaching since the mid-90s, has coached Shaq, Tracy McGrady, uh, has coached the, the Boston Celtics team with Ray Allen, KG, Paul Pierce, has coached Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and now has coached Embiid and James Harden. And he's been doing this for 20 years and he still is behind a dude who took over as head coach in what, 2011, 2010, mm. whatever year. Now, granted, Spo also had D Wade and LeBron, all those guys, but also those years without it before we've seen them make another run. I mean, if they, if they, if the Heat win this series, it'll be the sixth time that the Heat have made it to the Eastern Conference finals under Spo in wow. like, in like 12 years. That's Steve Kerr numbers. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs>
It, it, it really is. And Spo is, in my opinion, the best coach in the NBA. Um, but Doc is a lot older. I mean, Doc's, what, 20 years at least older than Spo? So I don't know. Like I said, I, I like what Doc did. I like the idea at the time. But at some point, man, call a spade a spade. You are what you are. Doc, there's only so many excuses that are legit. You know, the Chris Paul injury year out in L.A., that's legit. Um, same thing with the year when Blake Griffin got hurt. That's legit, right? They had the one legit 3-1 collapse that's totally on them, which I think it was against the – was it Warriors or Spurs? I think it was against Spurs. Um, but, you know, saying he didn't have any talent on that Magic team, when you had Tracy McGrady – I you mean, know, when he was averaging <laughs> 30 a game. Yeah, but that was about it. <laughs> like, I just, I have a hard time. And then to use, to just throw the bubble as like an excuse. Like, yeah, I just, I, I think I'm just done <laughs> with Doc. And I know a lot of other Philly fans are ahead of me. I've tried to give him the benefit, benefit of the doubt, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved on. Um, I, I kind of hope that they do as a fan, but. It just sucks for Embiid. Uh, all right, let's talk about the good series because we spent too much time talking about the shitty series. Uh, your Warriors and the Grizzlies tied at one game apiece. Um, yeah. Ja Morant is so fucking good at basketball. It's insane. Uh, this is just a fun series. It's a complete contrast in styles, contrast in generations, young coach, new guard, uh, young players, right? The average age of of uh, Memphis, I think, is like 24.8 or something like that, like young team. And Ja is just playing at an elite level. The shiftiness in the lane, you know, people like the the floating through the air and all that stuff that Ja does is is obviously real. It's it's amazing to watch. But to me, it's it's the spacing. It's his ability to get into the lane. Uh, and the Draymond thing for, for Golden State, it, it's starting to feel like 2016 again, a little bit where Draymond is playing with that chip on his shoulder. And as a fan, I love it as a Warriors fan, I would be a lot more concerned. Um, and then the Gary Payton jr. You know, the second, whatever his name is like, that is scary um, because he was an important piece. He wasn't just a nice bench role player. He's like pretty vital to how they run things there. Yep. And he's pretty much uh, one of the only guys who on defense can play and stay in front of John Moran. Uh, so when we talk about that, that foul, cause I'd like to talk about it a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of people, the foul Dylan Brooks committed on uh, GP two, uh, which he's been suspended for game three of the yeah. uh, coming up on Saturday. So there's been rhetoric and even Steve Kerr called it a dirty play. I think it was a hard foul. Um, you know, like you said, if, if Peyton doesn't get injured on that play, I don't think that it warrants a, the suspension and B the, uh, the backlash of it being dirty. But apart from that, like the whole, it wasn't just that play. Uh, I think that that warranted that Steve Kerr comment. It was the play against Draymond. It was, it's all the ticky tack stuff that they're, they're trying to get away with that is getting called because the, the referees are, uh, are blowing their whistle more in the postseason, but uh, I don't like the way that the, the Grizzlies are playing right now. And, and frankly, I, I'm keen to say that that was a dirty play because a retaliation for the, for the Draymond uh, flagrant foul in game one and, and B like, you don't think Dylan Brooks doesn't know that that's the guy who plays the best defense against their best player. Come on now. 
No, I, I, I don't think – I don't think – and this is why I'd push back. I When I saw the play, the first angle I saw it from, because um, I got up to get some food or something, came back, sat back down. The first angle, I was like, he got ejected for that? And then they showed the reverse angle where he hits him on the head, right? I, to me, it was a – and I feel like most average athletes have played in sports enough where you're like – you see the play, like the LeBron block and like all those crazy things. And you think to yourself for a second, like, oh, I can do this. And you're going to go up and you just end up being way shorter of it. Right. Like, almost like a dude who's like, oh, I used to dunk when I was in high school. And he's like in his mid thirties and he goes up and he's like a foot short of the rim. And doesn't even get the ball, you know, to the net. Throws out his back. Yeah. I think this was a There's play a <laughs> where Dylan Brooks was playing because he Dylan Brooks is a plays his ass off. And I think it was a play where he was going all out and tried to do something that he physically was unable to do because he was too late on it, and it was a wrong place at the wrong time, and he went really hard to try to block it, and he ended up being a foot short, and instead of hitting the ball, he drilled Gary Payton's head, and then Gary Payton falls and breaks his elbow. You know, If, if, Gary Payton, if he had elbowed Gary Payton in the face you know, and broke his orbital bone intentionally with doing that same kind of thing, that'd be one thing, but it wasn't even like a head injury. It was more the fact that he fell when he was in midair. And I get it. The optics of it look bad. I would calling it a, a dirty play. I think it's just like common vernacular we use, right? It's like, Oh, a play that happens. Player gets hurt. Oh, that was a dirty play. Like even the Siakam play right with Embiid, right? Oh, that's a dirty play. I don't think it was a dirty play. I think it, it was unfortunate. And I think the size matchup and some certain things, you know, ended up hurting Embiid there, but like, I don't think the intent there was there to hurt it. And I think intent matters when you're talking about a dirty play. The dude on the Minnesota Wild who, like, cross-checked the guy's Achilles the other night, like, that's a dirty play. Mm. Everything Tom Wilson has ever done on the ice of an NHL game is a dirty play. Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, Albert Hainsworth stepping on a dude's face. And Navigan stepping on a dude's face. Those are dirty plays because the intent was there. I don't think Dylan Brooks' intent was to hurt Gary Payton Jr. on the play. And that's kind of why I say I don't – I agree with the suspension in hindsight because the injury was there. But, again, if he doesn't get hurt or if that was Clay Thompson, he doesn't get hurt, right? Like, I just – it didn't look like he was intentionally trying to hurt the player. And that, to me, is that line of of dirty play. I disagree. I I think he knew it was – It's your team. It's your guy. He knew it was the best defender – he knew it was the best that. defender on John Moran. The game, no, the game moves way too fast for that. The game, like, again, that's like an armchair take where, like, yeah, from our standpoint, we can be like, oh, well, yeah, it just happened to be the same guy. If that was, you know, Kevon Looney doing that, egregious. you know, who got hurt and not, I think he would, I think Gary, uh, Dylan Brooks would have done that on anybody in that situation. Unbelievable. I don't uh, think it had him for the series. Get out of here, Dylan Brooks. Uh, that being said, Draymond also gets fined $25,000 for flipping off the uh, crowds there. Good. Fuck this, is, this is a fun series. This is a fun series from a basketball standpoint because they are contrasting styles dramatically. Um, well, yeah. And it's I, I, it might be recency bias, but I'm starting to lean more towards Memphis unless Clay has a big game here because Clay looks yeah, tired. That's a key. Yeah, yeah, like well, it looks yeah. like a guy who has who's only played 30 games of basketball in the last two years. He does. Uh, and it looks like, you know, even on defense, he's lost a step. Uh, we saw in game one that that terrific help play he had uh, to end the game. But, you know, I, 
four years ago, if you told me uh, who, or you asked me who in this series uh, Clay was going to guard, I would say not even a question. It's Ja Morant, and you keep him on Ja all day long. And it would be an uh, because awesome, he's your best be defender. Great, yeah, it'd be a great matchup for. Him. Yeah, and and he just doesn't. It looks like he's lost a step. He doesn't have the quickness, and that's especially true on the offensive side of the ball with a lot of the stuff he he used to run off ball, right? Uh, some of the cuts and, and stuff he would do to get open on the wing uh, aren't, aren't happening now because he's half a step slower than, uh, than he was uh, during those, those dynasty years. Does it feel to you as well, because I've had this thought watching them, the fear of him shooting isn't there anymore from, for defenses. It's, it's similar to Harden. Like Defenses aren't afraid of Harden getting by them anymore so they can attack his shot more and therefore it's hurting his jump shot. Teams aren't are, aren't afraid of Clay shooting it the same way because he's not getting up as as high when he's jumping. He's not releasing the ball as quick, um, and he's slow. He again, he looks like a dude who played forty to fifty NBA games this year for the first time in two years. Who is coming off of two major knee injuries? Who and again, Clay Thompson is one of my all time favorite basketball players. So I hate saying this, but I don't think defenses are afraid of him. And I think part of what's helped him was the fact that teams are afraid of Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole can pour it in from anywhere. Um, but, you know, and Steph even, right? Like Steph has 27 in that game. But if you're not getting good numbers from, uh, you know, basically, you know, Jordan Poole has 20 in game two. But Clay Thompson goes two of 12 from three. That just feeds, especially a young team like Memphis, who's just like, he can't shoot. He can't get shots up against this. But if you're going to have, Jordan Poole go one of six from three. Clay Thompson go two of 12 from three. And Steph Curry go uh, three of 11 from three. I, I think Memphis is going to be good. But that being said, there are going to be games in this series where they go five of six from three, you know, for Jordan Poole. And Clay Thompson goes six of 10 from three. Uh, Steph will go nine of 11 from three. Yeah, like you're going to exactly. have those amazing games. So basically, I think what this series comes down to is do you have enough shooting and do you have enough of those games where golden state is making their shots or do you not because if they're making their shots golden state's going to win if they're not memphis is going to win and i think you're playing the odds at that point you know analytically speaking and i think you have to favor memphis in that how how could you do that though based on the fact that if we've been one of the best shooting teams and we have two of the best shooters in the world uh on the same team because even the best shooters in the world Shoot forty percent from three. Steph God is due for a game. I'll tell you what. I, he again, is due. <laughs> I've said this all the time. I was a Warriors fan, before, like pre-Steph. Like I, my rule of thumb of fandom is your city, and then any any teams that were once in your city. So growing up, they, there are two cities like that, or two teams like that for Philly: the Warriors and the Oakland A's. We're both yeah, big Oakland A's fans, right? <laughs> so, like, my other team in those sports were always Golden State, and I love Steph and Davidson, so I love that team and the Monta Ellis years and everything else with Golden State and the – the uh, what was the name of the – We Believe. The We Believe Warriors, right? Steven Jackson, Jason Richardson. Run TMC. The oh, you're not old enough for that, yeah. No, I I, I, I know it. I, I, come on. <laughs> I may not be old enough, but I'm enough of a sports nerd that at least I can I can pick that shit up, right? Um. So I want the Warriors to win because deep down, I just love Steph and I want to watch as much Steph Curry playoff moments as possible. But even Steph, like we, we forget too, he's what three weeks removed from coming back probably three weeks too early from an ankle injury. 
and yeah, he was he's playing, just eating he up. Was the, he was the sixth man for the entire series against uh, 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 Denver. I don't know why my brain isn't working with uh, teams right now, but I just Memphis is a terrible three point shooting team, and Golden State's an amazing three point shooting team. So if the Warriors are making their threes, I think they win the series. If they're not, Memphis is going to win the series. And I don't think we can underestimate this too. Memphis stole home court at the end of the second half of the regular season. That two seed was Golden State's to lose, at, you know, at that halfway mark around the All-Star game. And the little injuries and the little things picking up and then incorporating Clay back in the lineup to get him his reps, it threw their whole rhythm off. And then Steph getting hurt, you know, and with it, four weeks to go in the, yeah. in the rest of the season. And, and I'll say this too. I mean, Jordan Poole, I mean, I think the two most important guys for Golden State are Steph and Draymond. Only for defensive. But offensively, the second most important player for Golden State is Jordan Poole. Yeah. And granted, yeah, he had 20 points in this game. But if you're going to rely on him to score 25 plus, kind of like the Sixers with Maxi, Like if you're relying on a second year guard, to be 30 points a game in a playoff series, you're probably not winning that playoff series. And if Golden State's relying on Jordan Poole to be the second best player offensively, you're probably not going to win that series because Clay's just not that guy. Now, Clay did lead the team in minutes with 41, but 519 from the floor and two of 12 from three. I, I do think that's going to get better. And I it has too. to, but I think it's going to get better particularly in these two games at home because clay feeds off well, of the energy so yeah. much and i was just it's, gonna say too i'm gonna sound really dumb when we hop on on monday and clay thompson has like a 39 point game where he goes like 10 of 11 from three oh, and give it's it just to a flamethrower um give it to I, me. I hope to god that happens because i i don't think i honestly i'll say this i think there's no one more fun when they catch fire now steph's a little more fun but clay is right there there's no well, two players I love catching fire more than those two guys. I'm telling you, and they're both due. And Steph's going to be shimmying in half court of the Chase Center. Uh, I hope so. After he's burying his his 14th three and his 60. And no Dylan Brooks. Game. No Dylan Brooks in Game Three is a huge <laughs> right, plus. Yeah, for, it should for be Golden Game State. Four, Game Five, Game Six, and Game Seven. Get out of here, All right, Dylan. Let's Brooks. talk. Uh, we've been talking a lot here. Let's wrap up with the Celtics and the Bucks. Uh, probably the best series. It's interesting. These two games basically just mirrored each other. Game One and Game Two. Uh, you know, almost identical scores. Um, and again, the defense that both of these teams can play. Uh, we talked about it on the last pod, um, how amazing Giannis is. And this was a game where it was like, yeah, but Giannis can't do it himself, right? We need a little bit more than that. And I give Boston a ton of credit because they did a really good job of containing as much as you can contain Giannis. Uh, 28 points, seven assists, nine rebounds. But, you know, Drew Holiday actually had a decent game but didn't shoot it well from the floor. But, again, you're talking about guys who they're relying on in their starting lineup. Bobby Portis, Wes, Wes Matthews, uh, Pat Connaughton, and Grayson Allen. You know, a- after Giannis and Drew Holiday, those are the guys that you are, like, relying on. And Brooke Lopez missed most of the year with an injury. You're not getting anything from him offensively. He is solely there to be a seven-foot-tall body who's going to be able to block the paint. The amount that they're relying on Bobby Portis to be really good. And granted, he was five to seven from, from the floor and like had 13 points, which again, if you're saying that's what Bobby Portis averages in this series, I'm probably going to say that Milwaukee's going to win the series. But when no one else around them and still no Chris Middleton, 
I'm I'm starting to worry about the Bucks' longevity in a seven game series. I think they can. I think they'll. I my prediction is this game will go six, and Boston will win it in six in Boston. Um, but you know, this is a huge bounce back game for for the Celtics. And Jason Tatum went right back to being like, oh, you guys think all that was an anomaly, whatever. I mean, Jalen Brown was the best player in Jaylen, this game. Oh, it was and unbelievable. Jason, but Jason Tatum still average, still had twenty nine and eight assists. <laughs> And three steals and went five of 10 from three. And Jalen Brown was amazing. Had one more point. But, like, this is the version of the Celtics that scares the shit out of me. And Grant Williams, too, he's a he's a great well, that, guy to have as a rotation defender against Giannis. And he's Robert Williams, dude. too. Yeah, yeah, that whole rotation. Him and Al Horford and 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 Robert Williams and uh, and, and Grant Williams, too. Uh, that, that rotation caused Giannis in game two to go – uh, 38.5% from the field and one for six on threes and 55% at the line. Like, I mean, that's a good way to shut down a team when they rely so heavily on. Uh, and again, for Giannis, he's one of the best players in the world. Skill level, like almost unmatched. But when you have guys that are defending him the way that those three are uh, in Boston, it's, it's, it's hard to, to ask the rest of that team uh, when you look at the roster to be like, Hey, can you pick it up? Just like, you know, yeah. especially and, without Middleton. There. But I'll tell you what, if Middleton's in, they, I think they're the, actually the better team. That's, like, cause, that's, Cause I think that's yeah, just 100%. how, how dominant and how ridiculously good Giannis is. Yeah. Um, and I think but, that's what was missing last year. Like, or, or that they had last year that they're missing now is like, they, they were able to, to rely on Middleton uh, in those spots, especially like, like when they played Miami and they had yeah. to, uh, go up against a good defense who shut down Giannis and a good deal of that series. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's the, the shooting, huge the effect. light that, that flamethrower guy, you know, that is mm-hmm. Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is the flamethrower guy and he has games where he's going to have 10 and he's going to have games where he has 42. You know, he had multiple 40 point games during that run they had last year. And they're missing that dude for when all of the assets, all of the defense is geared towards Giannis all right, well, you know what? I'll live with Drew Holiday getting 20 points, right? And then who else is beating us after that? Because between Holiday and Giannis, you're probably getting 50 to 60 points every game, right? All right, well, yeah. where's, where's the other 40 coming from for them to get to 100, which is, I think, the bare minimum they need to beat, to beat Boston. And that's going to come from, you know, Pat Connaughton and, and Grayson Allen, I guess. But defensively, like, those guys are, are just – they're minuses. They're minus defensive. They can give you a good effort, but if you have Pat Connaughton or Grace Allen guarding Jalen Brown, who's basically playing the two for them, that's a problem. Now, I will say the one other yeah. thing that's worth noting, um, still not sure as to whether or not we will see Marcus Smart back. He said today he is optimistic and hopeful. This is where that extra day of rest that makes no sense in the scheduling will help Boston. Um, but the fact that they did this without Marcus Smart is pretty crazy. Also, I'm today years old when I realized that Nick Stauskas is on the Boston Celtics. I didn't, wow. even, think he, I didn't even think Stauskas was still in the league. Shout out to one of the OG process guys there and from, uh, from those Philly teams. Him and Robert Covington and Tony Roten were holding down the court. Tony uh, Roten, wow. Tony Roten, I heard in, that name. In jail currently, <laughs> by the way. Uh, he huh. and a bunch of other guys uh, got – caught up in that like fraudulent lawsuit probably God, was that like five four or five months ago i think it was in like november uh there's like a fraudulent lawsuit and claims that they had against 
the doctors and health people from the NBA. I don't know. Anyway, there's like a list of like 15 guys who were going to jail who are former NBA players. And unfortunately, Tony Roden is, is in that uh, mix. All right. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and do a little NFL talk. Uh, and then we'll wrap up with our PGA tournament game planning and uh, touch. Neither one of us are big hockey guys. Like we're not going to be able to break anything down, but it's just, it's playoff hockey. So it's a worth, worth at least talking about. So we'll get all that. Checklets. All right. So not a ton of major breaking NFL news. Uh, the one story that has kind of taken over for most of the NFL world this week was the Ryan Tannehill comments post-draft, right? Tennessee Titans go out, they draft Malik Willis, and he's asked if there's going to be any sort of mentorship or if he's going to help him develop. And Ryan Tannehill said plainly, like, it's not my job to mentor him. It's not my job to teach him how to be, you know, my replacement. And a lot of people were crushing him. A lot of players, you know, were, were really dogging him and, and media people were saying, you know, but, and I don't know how you feel about this, Scotty, which is why I want to have this conversation. I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't have a problem with him saying that. You know, this isn't Jason Kelsey, who we know is going to retire after this year, who handpicked the guy who's going to be drafted, who was cued in on the whole thing, uh, who's going to be his replacement, who wants to help the organization to go, who's accomplished a ton of his in his career. Ryan Tannehill has the biggest cap hit of any quarterback, any player in the NFL this upcoming season for a singular one year. He has a lot to prove. He The last time we saw Ryan Tannehill, he had three interceptions in, in an AFC playoff game and a game that they arguably should have won against Cincinnati, who then went on to go to the Super Bowl. I have no problem whatsoever with Ryan Tannehill saying, you know what? No, it's not my job. Now, are there certain things you can do? Teach the guy how to study, answer the questions for him, that kind of stuff? Yes. And I honestly think this is a lot more nuanced of a, of a conversation than what people like to make it to be. It's like, oh, you're not going to mentor him? Oh, well, fuck you. You're bad. You know, you're a bad teammate. You're the, you're yeah. a professional athlete. You're getting paid to do this. And on top of it, Ryan Tannehill has a lot left to prove in his mind. He hasn't accomplished shit. He's got one playoff win on his resume. He needs to be a guy with that kind of edge. And Tennessee's better off if he is. So I guess I just don't – I don't know why we all need to be so buddy-buddy all the time, right? Like, I think we like it when we see the stories like Jason Kelsey – but the circumstances around that situation seem completely different to me. Yeah, it, it is nuanced. You're, you're 100% right. And look, like Aaron Rodgers got this backlash about Jordan Love, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, and Ryan Danahill is not Aaron, or, uh, Aaron Rodgers, by the way. No. Uh, not that I'm not comparing, but the situations are similar, right? Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, to, to a larger degree, Ryan Tannehill's fighting for his life almost as, as a starter of that football team. So uh, for, for him to say that it's not uh, it's not in his job description. Yeah, that's accurate. You're right. Your job description is to go out there and win your team football games. But Jeff, if you were working a radio show Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, they, you were on the way out or you were uh, had another person coming in uh it's not in your job description to train them. Fuck no. But you would. Yes and no. It's one thing if I'm if I have a radio show, right? And they're like, "Hey, you've been a solo radio host for us for for 5 years. You've done 
good, but we're happy with the production. You know, we think there's more we can get out of you. And we think it'd be good if we had somebody, you know, as like a co-host, you know, like not quite an equal co-host, but, you know, maybe someone who's just going to help you out with some stuff. Um, that would be obviously slightly different because you can be working together. But if I was like, hey, this guy's going to come in and he's going to be your replacement or we're going to give him a solo radio show right before your show. And then we're going to see like I would be competitive as fuck. Like, I, I just would. I'd be like, no, I'm not giving this up. I'm not. This is this is my radio show. And I, it's only going to motivate me to be even better if you're not already intrinsically motivated enough to do that. You know, and I, I think there's some truth. I heard Diana Rossini on Ryan Rosillo's pod this week, who's very tied into Tennessee uh, and that whole organization. They want to see the Ryan Tannehill who came in as the backup for Marcus Mariota and then played Mariota out of town. They want to see the dude yeah. with that fire lit underneath him again. And this might be a way for them to go about doing it. But also, if you're Ryan Tannehill, I would also be really pissed off that my best teammate and the best, one of the top five wide, top 10 wide receivers, arguably top five wide receivers in football, just got traded away for a rookie. I'm not helping that kid. I, I, I would show them the ropes. I'd show them where the bathrooms are. I'd show them how some of the equipment works. So. Show them where the coffee machine is. Yeah, coffee's <laughs> down the hall. Bathroom's second door on your left. <laughs> Upstairs is the cafeteria. Like, that's the kind of stuff I would do. I'm not going to sit down there. And now, I don't know, maybe there's a part of me that would sit down and work with the guy because I just think that's – I try to be a nice guy. I try to be supportive that way. But if I knew that person was gunning for my job, I don't think I would. I really don't. And I don't blame anybody. And I don't think anyone should. If I'm out the door, though, hey, guys – it's been an awesome 10 years hosting this radio show and uh, I'm going to retire and live the life of luxury. Cause that's what radio hosts do. And uh, this is the next guy coming in. Hell yeah. Absolutely. I'd be more than happy to show them the ropes to educate, to teach them. Hey, these are some tricks that I knew how to do. No question. I would do that in a heartbeat, but if they're coming for my job, no way. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. And that's the difference. And and the other thing, too, and it's a great point about letting A.J. Brown go uh, and, and then drafting a quarterback on top of that. I wonder what the level of consultation was with Tannehill. If you're trying to make him win this job, uh, that's one thing. If you're telling if you're trying to use it as a motivating factor to be like, hey, you're our guy, but like we need you to play better. Then I feel like you need to consult him and be like, so here's our plan. This is what we're doing. And you can either get on board or get out. I I think that's absolutely true. I think that's absolutely true. And I'll say this too. Like, if you're Tannehill, they draft a rookie quarterback and they draft a rookie wide receiver in the first round, it doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you feel good. Oh. And the hope is no, – Especially point, after – I don't think they probably consulted him at all. They didn't consult Aaron Rodgers yeah. when they drafted Jordan Love. They didn't consult Brett Favre. When they drafted Aaron Rodgers, you know, this is a thing. This is a, a lot. There's tons of examples of this where it wasn't a problem. And this is one of the few times that I will agree with the people who are like, there's a lot of snowflakes on social media. There's a lot of snowflakes on social media on this one. All right. There just <laughs> yeah. are. All right. Are. This is competition. This is professional sports. Like I said, Ryan Tannehill is the highest paid player in the NFL this season for this single year. He has the highest cap hit of anybody. The pressure on you 
coming off a bad a bad game in the playoffs, and now they do this. The pressure cooker is at full max right now for him, and he's got to step up. And so, no, if I had that breathing down my neck, there's no way in hell I would be mentoring the kid. Again, small things, stuff like off the field stuff, like, hey, here's the guy I use to manage my money. That stuff, yes, mentor the young kids because that's life stuff. That's how to handle yeah. the pressures of this. Am I going to show you how to read, especially someone as raw as Malik Willis, who's obviously more physically gifted than Ryan Tannehill at this point in his career and probably even peak Ryan Tannehill? Am I going to show him, hey, when the nickel corner comes down here and they shift you know, coverage over here, you're going to see cover three instead of a cover four? You know, No, like I'm not showing him that shit. Do your film tape. Figure it out for yourself. Because Ryan Tannehill had to do that. He had fucking Adam Gates as his head coach. And who was the other quarterback in, in Miami that he was bowing with? And then he came out and he went from being a backup to then beating out the dude who was the second overall draft pick and Marcus Mariota, who had won a playoff game for Tennessee. And, and you know what? And this is probably the biggest thing, too. Who's the head coach of that organization? Mike, Mike Vrabel. Vrabel. Do you think Mike Vrabel likes or dislikes those comments out of his starting quarterback? I think that's a plus. I think he likes him. I yeah. think he I think he I think he loves it. I think he sees his quarterback with an edge that they need to get to that next level. And again, if I'm Tannehill, I'm pissed too. Yeah, but so look on the flip side, right? Like if you're Tannehill, why wouldn't you be like use this as motivation and then after you've you've proven them wrong, also do it in the playoffs, buddy. Three interceptions. That was the worst game I've ever seen. No uh, question. Uh, but use it as motivation. Play your ass off. And then be like, you know what? It's not just fuck you for, for drafting my replacement. Fuck all of you. I'm out of here. Well, we just saw that play out with Aaron Rodgers, right? And ultimately, yeah. if, it's the, if it's the best situation – if Tennessee wins that division again, which it's going to be a lot harder to do this year with Matt Ryan in Indianapolis, right? But if they win that division again and they go on a good run, we're seeing it right now, which this is actually not a terrible transition to the next thing I want to talk about NFL-wise with Baker Mayfield, which is like, where are the jobs? There's 32. You get 32. That's it in the entire NFL. And for all we know, there's a lot that can change from now until then. But Tennessee is probably a damn good job. They have a couple yeah. of decent I mean, wide receivers. Yeah. Traylon Burks could be good. If Jalen Burks ends up being, you know, Justin Jefferson-esque in terms of like a rookie wide receiver with a thousand yards, and you still have Derrick Henry, and you still have a good offensive line, and your defense is better. And you were in the AFC Championship two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> AFC Championship, a game that you should have won to go back to the AFC Championship. You were the number one seed in the a in the AFC with much better quarterbacks when your best player mm -hmm. was on the sideline for the majority of the season. A play a play away from beating the, the team who ended up going to the Super Bowl. Now yeah. that one play was Ryan Tannehill with a bonehead throw. And again, but he yeah. has he feels that. So I have zero issue with Ryan Tannehill saying this. And I, I think this this participation trophy style of, you know, sports that so many people bitch about. This is an example where I'm actually on the side of that uh, side of the people who, are, who hate that kind of stuff, because this is competition. This isn't high school football. This isn't middle school football. This isn't everybody gets a shot. Everyone can try out for quarterback. No, this is the fucking NFL. 
And if someone's trying to take your job, one of 32 that exists in the world, one of the hardest jobs in the world, and you've worked your entire life from it, fuck anybody who's saying that you shouldn't be competitive about it. You want to be a mentor to him off the yep. field? Tell him where to buy a house. Tell him how to manage his money. Get him connected with good people in the industry. Do that. I'm all in on that. Every NFL player, I think, has a not just should do this, but has an obligation to do that for the next generation. But if we're talking on the field, fuck no, dude. Ryan Tannehill was a converted wide receiver who played quarterback for two years before he ended up going into the NFL. That dude had to catch up and was just as raw as Malik Willis was, and he earned his spot there. And is there middle ground here, by the way, too? I do think there is some middle ground. I, and that's sure. why I say it's not that – it doesn't have to be as black and white as we're making it. But there's more nuance. Oh, careful there. There's more nuance to this conversation than exists. But at the same time, it's not his job to, to plan the guy's replacement when Tannehill looks at Tennessee and says, I still got three more years of my contract after this year. I'm supposed to be your franchise guy. I'll help him as much as I can help him. But hell no, it's not my job to help him take my job. Hell no. Agreed. And honestly, I think good for yeah. Ryan Tannehill. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about. Tannehill was a day one, by the way. Yeah, first round, 17th overall, I think, right? Day one starter, first round. His backup, Brandon Fields. In Miami? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know who the hell. I don't even recognize that name. Well, Tannehill started all 16 games uh, that year. So, <laughs> Wow, Brandon Fields. How about it? That was the that was the year with uh, Joe Feldman, right? That was the uh, year yeah, they were. Yeah. It was the year they were knocked up. Or knocked up. Jesus Christ! Hard knocks. <laughs> Hard knocks. <laughs> My brain is just progressively turning more and more into pudding every day. It feels like. Um, the other NFL quarterback thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, it is becoming increasingly obvious, and I just alluded to it that there is not a place for Baker Mayfield right now. And if you're him. And I'm curious what you would do here. And I'd be curious what a lot of people would do here. It seems like he's not going to play uh, for the Browns this year, but there's still a very high likelihood that Deshaun Watson gets suspended. And that, which is why they only gave him $1 million for this first year. Again, more bullshit. Um, but it seems more and more Deshaun Watson will get suspended and there'll be an opportunity for Baker to play. Now, his stock in the league is not high enough for someone to take a risk on him. The Seattle Seahawks apparently wanted no part of Baker Mayfield. The, the Carolina Panthers just drafted uh, uh, Matt Corral, and they Correct. have Sam Darnold there. So they don't seem very interested in a veteran quarterback to come in and, and run the team while the young guy develops. And you look around the league, and it's I know I make this reference all the time on this pod, but like you look around, and it's the John Travolta gift. Where's the job? Where's the spot for Baker Mayfield to go line up, right? There isn't one right now. And his stock in the NFL is not high. So if you're Baker Mayfield, do you swallow the pride? Go put better tape out there. Get that chip on your shoulder. You know, walk on Baker Mayfield at Texas Tech, who then transfers to Oklahoma and wins a Heisman and ends up being one of the best college quarterbacks of all time. Do you go that route, right? And, and say, fuck Cleveland, you know what, I'm going to show you what you're missing in front of your face for your team, and then I'm going to leave. Because right now, if he doesn't do that, his best odds are to not play this year, get fully healthy, become a free agent, and then hope you get a chance to compete a year and a half from now, a year and With, two months yeah. from now. Yeah. With a loaded quarterback class coming in. Exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I, I would think you'd have to, to swallow your pride a little bit there because like, look, there are teams like Seattle's is going to go with Geno Smith or Drew Locke really. And you're not going to take Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield would be a top six or seven quarterback in the NFC uh, if he were there. Uh, and, and make no mistake about it because that the NFC is wide open. I think he's better than Kirk Cousins, please. Um, but if, I, I think in this situation, you have to swallow your pride just if for nothing else to prove the fact that you can still play because now he's in a position where teams are passing on him. And uh, I know that's a lot of capital to give up on draft night for, for that. Uh, but teams are passing on him because they don't believe in him uh, is what some are reporting. Uh, some don't want him on the, on the, his team at all. And I don't think it would be a good fit for Seattle, just the way that, uh, uh, they play, uh, but, um, uh, you know, I think you have to swallow your pride and just get the tape out there and be like, you know, I can still play the game. Like I'm, I'm a good quarterback. Like Baker, is, Baker is a good quarterback. I did the whole rant on it the day before they made the trade for Deshaun Watson. Why are we so quick to turn off of Baker's because we saw him in too many fucking annoying progressive commercial ads, which I argue are amazing. And I love those commercials. You know, Bill Simmons has the rule. It's like, you know, he only wants to see athletes and commercials who are good enough to deserve them. But in my mind, it's like, he's just a Get marketing home run. So yeah, you're going to take Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Baker Mayfield's a good quarterback. He played this whole season touring. He tore his rotator cuff in his throwing shoulder twice. Like, I mean, how, what does he have to do to prove after, after leading the Browns to the playoffs and then beating the Pittsburgh Steelers by 40 yeah. in Pittsburgh, effectively ending big Ben's career. And I say this, I think he's a perfect fit in Seattle. He's he's closer yeah. to, to Russell Wilson than he is, you know, like young Russell Wilson, not as good of a runner, but he's closer to him than anything else. And they won a fucking Super Bowl. And they were one of the best teams in the NFL for a decade plus. I think he'd be a great fit there with those weapons, with Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf, and now Kenneth Walker the third, and they're going to have a running game to support you. And they actually have a left tackle. I just, I don't get the hate for Baker Mayfield other than people just don't, don't like either. his personality. But I think I'm with you. I think if you're Baker, you have one shot here. You have one choice. You go and play when the opportunity presents itself. You have Amari Cooper there. You still have two elite running backs. You have a good tight end. You have a great offensive line and a good defense. And fuck, go be Nick Foles. If Deshaun Watson suspended for the season, which I, I don't – at this point, we have no idea how long a suspension he would even be getting. But if he is, go be Nick Foles. Go win a Super Bowl. Because that team is good enough to do it. I mean, football alone on the field, the Browns might be the best team in the NFL. They have a top five offensive line, if not the number one offensive line of football. They have elite wide receivers. They have elite running backs. They have a great head coach. They have an amazing defense that's young and only getting better. And, and one of the top three pass rushers in the NFL in Miles Garrett. Why shouldn't they go win the Super Bowl this year? And why shouldn't it be Baker Mayfield? Honestly, that would be the most fitting thing of all. Deshaun Watson gets suspended for the year. And then he's got to sit out and Baker Mayfield goes and wins it with Cleveland. Imagine that city. Imagine the tweets that got to be deleted from Cleveland fans. 
<laughs> I just ah uh, yeah. If if I'm Baker, oh, you that's can't what I'm doing. Anymore. You can't. Oh, with Elon, you're not allowed to delete tweets. <laughs> Is that really a thing? Uh, you probably are. Oh. No, I don't know. I was like, uh, damn. I was look, like, I didn't hear that. I mean, that would be a spectacular storyline, right? And, be amazing. And, and then for, I mean, can you imagine that podium presentation with the owner and Baker up there So good. and Baker just grabbing the mic from Jim Nancy going like looking at the owner and being like, I didn't do this for you, Jimmy Haslam. Get out of here. Fuck you. This is for me because now he's an unrestricted free agent (laughs) next year. I mean, I guess they could still tag him, but they've already committed 240 million guaranteed. Sorry. At that point, it'd be 239 million guaranteed to Deshaun Watson. So no, I would love that. I would absolutely love yeah. that. Yeah, it'd be, too, it'd be, it, it would be. Now I'm, I've now decided, other than the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, that's what I want to happen this NFL season. Number one thing <laughs> I want to happen, that's what I one want. One B storyline. I want Deshaun Watson <laughs> to get suspended for the season, and I want Baker Mayfield to lead the Browns to a Super Bowl so he can walk away with his ring on his middle finger and give him a nice old double bird. That's what I want to happen. All right, uh, <laughs> let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the pod, talk a little NHL playoffs. And uh, talk about our weekend coming up, bud. Let's, let's get ready. Let's hit them straight, boys. Let's see it on the other side. All right. So we're going to wrap up the pod here. Um, I'll be, like I said this before, I'll be honest with people. I'm not going to be able to give you any sort of hockey breakdown. I had to do a bunch of research just to figure out who the best teams are even this year. That being said. Uh, Florida Panthers, by the way. <laughs> I re- there you go. Uh, well, I'm, I'm pulling for the Panthers because they got my boy G. Um, and it sucked to see them lose to me too. Lead against they got that. my boy Joe Thornton. <laughs> yeah, Joe Thornton's on the Panthers. Joe Thornton's still playing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, is he like forty-five? Uh close. Yeah. Let's get Zach on this. Zach Parker. How old Zach is Parker. Joe? Is Joe Thornton? That's insane. Uh, Joe Thornton is forty-two years old. Wow. <laughs> I remember him playing like as a kid when he was on Boston. Boston, yeah, and then he came to to San my Jose, team, the Sharks. Yeah, um, and then we were so close. If it weren't for the stupid Penguins, yeah. But I mean, G is like a lifer, dude. Like all time Philly sports athlete, my favorite hockey player of all time, no question. Uh, and so I am pulling hard for the Florida Panthers. Plus, there's already talks that if if they win the cup this year, that he'll just turn around and sign back with Philly, just because he wants to stay. Just he wants to be a Flyer. So he'll go get his ring, go get his cup, and then come back and, and, and sign with the Flyers, which would be an all-time scenario. That's um, neat. <laughs> yeah, how cool would that be? Uh, I feel like we hear people, like that's a, a thought people have a lot, and it never actually follows through like because it's so rare that it would happen. But I want that to happen for G. Um, but I, the main reason I want to bring up the NHL playoffs is it's really, really cool to watch playoff hockey when it's like, it's the one sport I don't put the pressure on myself to know a lot about, you know, it's like, and baseball is a little bit like this too. Like when the playoffs come around, but you know, I grind out the NBA regular season. I grind out at, at college football and the draft and I grind out the NFL obviously, but like hockey is just like, when we get to the playoffs, I'm going to sit, I'm going to watch insanity. And already in the first couple of games, we had a triple overtime game. We had that dirty cheap shot we were talking about earlier. There's just a magical energy about playoff hockey that no other sport has because hockey is an enigma in American sports. There's nothing else like it. Like the MLS is closer 
to the other like pro sports leagues in the in in American pro sports football, there's other ones than hockey is because it's not our sport, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, but it is, though, in the NHL, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, technically, because the majority of them are here, but it's like the rest of the world, Europe, like the, soccer is like their sport. Right. America is football, football and baseball. They're our sports. Hockey is Canada and a little bit with Russia. Right. Like hockey and, and even still like some of like the northern Europeans, your your Sweden and Finland and, and Norway and, and, you know, countries like that. But like hockey players are so uniquely different than any other professional athlete in the most fantastic way. Like listening to, to spit and chicklets, right. With Whitney and, and uh, biz nasty and those guys, like, it's just, it's electric. Like those guys are just fucking amazing. And the way they talk and their little euphemisms and, and just some of their phrasing and stuff. Oh, is it's so entertaining. Yeah, it's, like, and, it's, it's Riley and Jonesy on Letterkenny. It's like the same shit. Like that yeah. hockey talk is just, it's pervasive and it's, it's like amazing. vernacular almost. Yes. <laughs> and it's like they, they live in their own little world and it's super pot and everyone loves the NHL playoffs. And then diehard hockey fans will follow the whole season. But like anyone who's a sports fan, loves the nhl playoffs like it i've never met someone oh, who's like those you know games what, are electric like you know what sport i don't mm-hmm. like i don't really like hockey like even casual my sister's the best example of this forever my sister hated sports growing up all sports and then one of her friends their family had season tickets to the flyers when she was in middle school we were just talking about this the other day when i was home and she got to go to like 15 flyers games and she was like 14 and at that point with like Mike Richards and Jeff Carter and young Drew. I don't even know if Drew was, yeah, Drew probably wasn't like 2010, you know, like all these young, you know, guys and the, the run they made to the finals. The, uh, Stanley cup here. Yeah. Yeah. In 2010 <laughs> the when they lost. Yeah. And they lost to the, uh, the Blackhawks. Yeah. Like she fell in love with hockey going to the games because there's something like, I, I can't even describe it. There's just an energy around hockey that's different it's than electric, any other sport. Yeah. And it's not enough for me, even, especially growing up, not playing it. Like, it's not enough for me to be like, oh, hockey's better than football. And it, like, I still would rather watch football. But, like, there's a uniqueness and this special energy around hockey that, to me, makes it so much different than anything else in American sports. And, and I just – I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I agree. Even growing up on the West Coast, like going to a Sharks playoff game is like nothing that I have ever encountered. It is so electric. The atmosphere, I would I would put this in an argument that it might be more electric than a Warriors basketball game playoff atmosphere, or a Giants playoff game atmosphere, uh, both of which are are on a different level. But like playoff hockey is just different, man. Like it is bred different, just like the players themselves that you were alluding to earlier. Yeah. And, and it's a cultural thing. Like it's, they're, they're not American culture. Like there's something about the team mentality. You have to have three or four lines in order to win a cup. Like you can't just have LeBron and all of a sudden now you're a contender. You can't just have Crosby or Ovechkin and all of a sudden you're a contender. We've nah. seen what, you know, nah. Ovechkin's whole career until 2018 was that exact narrative being played out. But yeah. arguably one of the top three greatest players of all time didn't so much right. as get to an you need, Stanley Cup finals until... You need a scorer, a doinker, a boinker, a, a, a grinder, all of them. <laughs> yeah, like, and I can't even sit here and pretend to break it down. I'm like the casual fan, like, oh, chase the puck. What do we do? Why are you dumping the puck? Oh, you got to score in the power play. Like, 
And I love that because I don't think most fans have any idea what's going on because the game moves so freaking fast. So my my PSA and for today, really play. <laughs> yeah, and majority, I still say the, the most electric Philadelphia sports atmosphere I've ever been in was a Flyers Penguins game. I went with my grandfather and I was probably 13, 14 years old at the time. It was prime Crosby. You know, everyone hated Crosby, stupid baby Gloves face. dropping. You know, <laughs> and I dated a girl from Pittsburgh who was a huge Penguins fan, and, like, that just didn't work, right? So it's like, eventually you're like, there's just some things, you know, it's thicker than blood, man. It, it, it's, and hockey brings that out in people, and I just I love it. I, I love playoff hockey. So my PSA to everybody, again, we are not the hockey pod to come listen to for breakdown analysis. We're going to try to cover more of it this year than we did last year because we really didn't do any hockey talk last year. So for this playoffs, we're going to try to do a little bit more. I'm going to cycle through the Rolodex and see if I can pull off an NHL guest at some point. I don't know if I even have that in my repertoire right now. Might have to cold DM some people that I follow. Uh, but I'll tell you what, man, like take the time, especially like tonight, Thursday night, Cinco de Mayo. There's no, uh, there's no game on for the NBA playoffs. Your boy's going to sit down when we get off the Zoom and watch playoff hockey for the rest of the night, and I'm excited for that. Uh, last thing on the pod here, and we won't go super long on it. Scotty, you and I are, again, assuming the weather holds up for us, which we're praying to the weather and golf gods. I'm, we're going, for me at least, will be my first PGA event ever on Saturday. I'm incredibly excited. And so there's some basic things. I've been asking around to people who've gone to events and some say, oh, dude, you got to find the best hole, get there early, camp up. You can watch everyone come through that day. And then I've heard people like, no, dude, like go chase your your favorite player. You go chase your the guys you want to go watch. Um, and then I found some others that are like, you can try to do both, but it is kind of hard because the guys are moving around. You got to walk everywhere. You can waste. You can be so, wasting time walking hole the hole. So how do you think the best way to go about this weekend for us should be? I've done it both ways. Uh, and I think going to the tournament just one day uh, would lend us to uh, following people around and bouncing around the course uh, mm. where it gets, uh, where it gets interesting. And, and we're going to have to do some of this on, uh, on Friday night. It's a little bit of mapping. Once we know the, yes. the tee times of the guys on Saturday, we're going to have to already like, looked okay, at the layout of the well, course. I already, already okay, have yeah, the mental see, map so, of the course in my head, but you're right. Cause it's going to so be like it. If Rory's teeing off, like we're following Rory, even in the rain, we're following Rory, but you can follow yeah. Rory for like six holes. And then you realize, Oh wait. Yeah. But by that point, Max Homa, but might at your be back coming is, up. is Homa. <laughs> yeah. My, Max Homa will be coming up six and Oh, there's a short cross. And so we can go from hole six to hole nine crossing across there, you know, and then all of a sudden now we're following home. I feel like that's the way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So my cousin did this, my cousin and I did this at the 2012 us open where we went two days and one of the days we just kind of camped out at 18 uh, and watched everyone come through. And then um, the second day we went, which was the Saturday, uh, we kind of, you know, bounced around and followed everyone um, that we wanted to watch. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's really two schools of thought uh, and, and none of them are wrong. Uh, you know, if I'm at Augusta, <laughs> You know, I'm doing the bounce because, <laughs> I, you know, oh, how yeah. many times are you going to ever get to go there? So no, you got to see um, every single hole at Augusta. You get there at the second you can and you you follow it throughout the day and you and take if a glimpse of everything you can. 
if you're lucky enough to have two days, then yeah, you absolutely do that and camp out at one or two holes. Uh, but no, man, I, I'm here for the bounce. I'm here for the for the walking. I'm, I've got my walking shoes on. It's going to be wet probably. Uh, bring an umbrella, strap on a jacket, and let's get after it, boys. Oh, yeah, 100%. So here's the list I, I have of the players that I are like, again, assuming they make the cut, which right now there's a couple that might be a little dicey. As we stand after day one, Jason Day is leading the tournament at minus seven. Joel Damon tied for uh, is in sole second at minus six. And then you have a group. You got Matt Wolf, who is in one I'm interested. Uh, Ricky Fowler, four under, tied for eighth after day one. Like nice to see Ricky at the top of the board. Rory's, Rory's in safe three. three under. He's in safe spot. But here's the list of guys, right? So number one's Rory, no question. Then we got Tony Finau, number two. He's at one under, so he's kind of flirting because it seems like guys have shot pretty well low. So he's going to have to play well tomorrow. Then Max Homa. Those are my top three guys. If I can see those three guys. I'll be I'll be satisfied. I won't be fulfilled. Harry Higgs at three under two. <laughs> Harry Higgs is, is so after that. Then I have Ricky Fowler, Shoffley, and Harry Higgs. Uh, then I have uh, Joel Damon, who is safely in there as well. I did have Sergio next on my list, but after his comments today, oh, it seems as though he is leaving. Um, he's leaving the tour now. Uh, he said, "I can't wait right. to." Said I can't wait to leave this tour. He said after uh, some frustration with the rules stuff. Hyperbolic, um, maybe, but also a lot of people don't like Sergio, and Sergio is also a dude who's going to chase the bag. Also European, so I guess the Saudi league is going to be a little closer. Um, then I have Jason Day, Sergi, who's at the top no. of the leaderboard. <laughs> Tyrrell Hatton is going to be in trouble. You got your uh, Frankie's in Hazen, Brian uh, Brian Harmon, Frankie. Who's Frankie? Frankie Molinari. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Well, he was one under at one he's point. At one he's, he's kind of dancing yeah. on that line. And then you have some honorable <laughs> mentions. Abraham Answer, Paul Casey, Corey Connors, Gary Woodland, Zach Johnson. Zach Johnson. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had Wolf on that list, so he's going to be there. Pat Perez. Uh, so basically here, we're going to see really amazing golfers. I think as we sit here right now, home is, at, I think, at three under, four under. So I think home is in a good spot. Um, he's at three under. Roy's at three under. Um, and for the most part, pretty much everyone I want to see is safe except for Finau. So Finau just needs to go out and shoot low tomorrow. But, yeah, any suggestions anybody has, hit us up on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Gimple. Uh, what's, at, at SPM. At read option. At read option pod. But what's your handle again, Scotty? At S underscore Miller five. There you go. Um but yeah, for the most part, I think we're going to get some some good action here. So, uh, and as some people uh, who follow me on social media know, I shot forty on the back nine yesterday. So your boy's playing pretty damn good golf as we as we speak. So nice to get a good round in there. There's nothing better than golf, dude. There's just nothing. The, the being there, playing around, having a beer, even if you're by yourself, it's therapeutic. Challenges the mind, gets the body moving. Uh, it's just the best. I love golf. Golf's the absolute best and uh and we're going to get to see the best in the world do it in what's most likely going to be tough conditions on saturday so i know for me i'm getting whatever rain gear i have loaded up i'm probably gonna have to wear my golf shoes because my other ones are not going to be waterproof uh so i'm probably gonna have the golf shoes going and we're gonna get after it so uh that's all we got today we will report back on tuesday's pod as to how it went if nothing else, we're going to have some beers with the boys, see my uh, my family, my 
sister-in-law brother my sister and brother-in-law coming down uh hang out with your lovely bride song and uh we're gonna have a good time so uh for scotty i'm jeff have a wonderful weekend enjoy the basketball enjoy the hockey enjoy the golf Go whatever Warriors. you're doing make it a great weekend because uh, we're in that prime weekend mode here as summer is vastly approaching so for the boys i'm jeff we'll talk to you on tuesday take it easy